0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com.
1: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: You're listening to Orange
0: and Blue Bloods. Hosted by E.J. Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Uh shifting gears back to the Knicks, Julius Randle opening up about the direction of the team, his chemistry with Jalen Brunson, and what it is like playing in New York. He was on the podcast P show with Paul George. During the show, he talked about how he loves playing in New York and that he's received a lot of love, despite some of the perceptions, maybe suggesting that maybe he hasn't been so fun playing in New York
2: negativity that's coming towards y'all. First thing first, if you want like a lesson, don't do thumbs down. That ain't work out well <laughs> for me. <laughs> Honestly, I love it, bro. It's made me the player I am today. It all depends on how you look at it, bro. It can be tough for some people and it's been tough for me. It's been tough for my family. The garden is its a different animal. It done taught me so much more about myself and as a player. Age you though, bro, it's like, it's like almost being like you, you the president and they go in there and you see them and they look great. And four years later, they got the right, image right. and they look yeah. old as hell. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel right now. How is it in New York? <laughs> if you look at it from a media perspective, uh, you would be like, damn, it's hard being there. I go on walks all the time, like around the city, the actual fans interaction, like face to face yeah. is crazy how much love it is, bro. Yeah. We ain't one. <laughs> you know what I mean? We got to the second round. They like, man, we so, they so appreciative.
0: So Julius Randle there talking about how it's like playing in New York. I thought it was funny. He mentioned the thumbs down thing. Said that that was probably not the best thing you should do, which I kind of enjoyed that he was able to make fun of that. In the full podcast, that was an a, a, a edited clip that the, the podcast piece show put on Twitter. In the full clip of that segment, he said that, you know, he attributed that to actually immaturity, which I thought it was, you know, interesting. I didn't think I never heard Julius Randle be that introspective about his issues. So, um, so I, I thought that that was interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting him talking about where the Knicks are in terms of how much they've realized that perhaps they're not as far off as maybe people would have thought or even they would have thought. He was Julius Randle on that.
2: From a team standpoint, I'll have to say it just show you like how balanced the league is, right, mm-hmm. to where we realize, man, like, just keep getting better. We're not that far off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's motivating for me in a sense because, like, I'm like – in my mind, I'm like, all right, how can I be the best version of myself to help the team win? Mm-hmm. So I go into the offseason, you know, you dissect that. But it's everybody from a team. Like, we got a bunch of – we got a great mixture of talent, bro. We got young dudes. We got, you know, guys who, you know, going into their prime. Um, So we got a great mixture of guys. But it's like, how do you keep getting better? Right. Uh, so from a team standpoint, I think that's where we at. Like, as individuals, how can we get better? And then we figure out, you know, what worked in the postseason, what didn't, you know, like, mm-hmm. what worked versus Miami, what didn't, mm-hmm. you know, what are the teams doing that won. So, like, I look at Denver and I'm like, all right, what are they doing as a team uh, to help them have such great chemistry on the court, Right. you know, to win.
0: So uh, interesting thoughts from Julius Randall on where the Knicks are, his experience playing in New York. I'm not sure how much you got to hear about this interview Tommy. but it, from anything you heard, anything stand out to you uh, from the Randall interview on the podcast, p podcast with uh, Paul George.
1: Yeah, nothing crazy, but, but like you said, I thought it was beneficial for him. Um, I thought it was good for him to, you know, self-deprecating, um, had a little bit of a sense of humor, was playful about the thumbs down thing, um, you know, gave some insight to kind of how he felt Um, both emotionally, physically, Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, listen, players don't owe the media anything. Um, but you know, other than to, to speak with the media is part of their contract, you know, but, um, I just think there's a lot more to be gained. Um, and, and certain players take advantage of this. This There's a fine line, you know, the media is going to ask for asks for too much and they will stab you in the back and they'll run with a quote, um, disparaging you if if it'll sell papers and all that stuff. And we get it. Um, but I do think there is a, a benefit to developing a cordial relationship, a friendly relationship, um, as opposed to an adversarial relationship. Um, and the Knicks have been kings of that, um, not, not, obviously not making uh, personnel available. Leon Rose yeah. hasn't spoken to anyone other than, you know, an MSG representative in a, in a couple of years. Um, Dolan never goes on record other than to say something crazy. Um, teams are, you know, of all, the, of all the teams in the NBA, they're, you know, arguably the least media-friendly um yep. which doesn't benefit them you know beat writers get upset and a select number of fans most fans don't care nor should they um it's not the reason the knicks haven't won a lot of games uh yeah. but it, it but it doesn't help the overall picture um and there's just not a lot to be gained by it so you'd think at some point um they'd learn their lesson and kind of revamp the way they handle it um, but again orders come from the top down and when you have someone as petty um as as dolan at the uh you know making all the the main decisions that it's not going to change anytime soon um but it was good to hear randall kind of more free outside of the restrictive you know nick's uh you know pr bubble um so i uh you know i i found it uh, at least informative and, and a bit entertaining on that on that respect
0: yeah i mean to me i feel like i listened to this and watched some of it you know on the video side of it as well and it made me wish a, the Knicks were more free-flowing in terms of letting guys talk to the media yep. and things like that. But it kind of made me wish Randall himself maybe put himself out there a little bit more. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he is an all-star. He is an all-NBA player. You would think that, you know, if he wants to talk to somebody, he could, you know, move some, move some, uh, move some boulders to get, you know, his personality out there because I think that there is this perception That he is this kind of cold, this kind of like standoffish guy, which a lot of some of the media members who cover him I saw Steve Popper said it on Nick's Film School said that Randall's a pretty great guy. I mean, like he's 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 a nice guy, he's you know kind, and you know, a lot of people, what people think about him, you'd be surprised when you actually get down, sit down, talk to him. And it was ironic that this interview then came out like the following week. And yeah, he seems like a, a cool dude, he clearly loves balls. It was interesting to hear him talk about the game the way he did. It made me wish that we kind of saw more of this side from him. Um, New York's a pressure cooker and what is being asked of him probably doesn't maybe warrant that as much. But I, I do wish that maybe we could see more of this from him. And and I ended up enjoying a lot of this interview. I'll be honest. When it started in three, four minutes in, he's saying how he doesn't watch film. I did want to just rip my headphones off. But then he clarified that he is now watching film. He talked about how earlier in his career he really didn't watch too much film. It actually started uh, during the lockout. Or not the season, the COVID season prior to that with the shutdown happening, he couldn't play basketball, couldn't go to any gyms. So that you know required him to find another way to improve his game. And that's when he started watching a lot of filming. He said, I had the best year of my career at that point. So um uh, he says that this injury he actually thinks will maybe help him because right now, of course, he has the ankle surgery. He talked about that and the, the difficult recovery process that goes into rehab. He has said that essentially, you know, now that I can't go and work out because normally I would go, be out there working out right now. Now all I have is film. So uh, I do hope that maybe him kind of studying the film will maybe help him see where he, you know, struggles at times and some of the issues we've seen and we've talked about plenty on this show. I did think there was one thing because we talked about the relationship he had with Tim, Tom Thibodeau. And I thought this was an interesting quote. I want to hear what you have to say about this Tommy, because both both of us have sometimes been dumbfounded as to what is this relationship with Tibbs. And why does, does it seem like Tibbs is unable to hold him accountable? I think he says something in this interview that actually made me kind of maybe understand their relationship better. Here's Julius Randle on the relationship with Tibbs. York.
2: We related off the bat just because we both workers. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if y'all hear about like Tibbs, but like Tibbs being in the office all day. Bro. I hear that. He's a hard worker. Yeah. So it's like. Bro, you can't be watching that much basketball, though. <laughs> Why like, are you here all day? But, like, Tibbs really be in the office all day. And I'm, like, the type of dude that, you know, practice. And then I'm coming back at night. And, like, I'm coming back at night. He's still there. So, like, he just, like, I think he appreciated that about me. And I, I appreciate that about him. Like, you know, he willing to put in the work. So, I think, uh, like, off the bat, like, we hit it off in that aspect of our relationship. And then... um like I said, bro, like he just, uh, he's the type of dude that, like, you know what to expect, like, every day, like, you know what, what's the expectation, <clears throat> and uh, you know, I, I think that that creates accountability, you know, within our team. So mm-hmm.
0: So I thought it was interesting because he ends it with the accountability part, which is ironic because we always talk about Tibbs. It feels like not holding him accountable. least not in public. And the way he plays sometimes, you wonder, is he holding him accountable in private? But, but Randall mentioning, Tommy, that, like, they hit it off immediately because Tibbs saw how hard he worked. It almost makes me wonder if that is why Tibbs gives him so much rope and why we don't hear Tibbs go after him. Because maybe Randall is the hardest working guy on the team. Like, if you know, and by all accounts, like, he 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 did the whole article he did in the, yeah, um, uh, no, not the athletic, the uh, players driven we talked about. He goes to different cities, immediately goes to a gym because that's what Kobe taught him to do. There are some very funny stories about Kobe Bryant in this podcast that if you, you don't care anything about Randall's and Nick stuff or you're just tired of him, at least go to the end of it and listen to Kobe stuff. But that stuff was awesome. But anyway, like, I do wonder if Tibbs looks at him and says, well, I know how hard this guy works. I know the work he puts in. Like who am I to say, okay, he should have died dough after that loose ball or he should have had no better body language. Like he's given 10 times more effort than everybody else on the team. Like, do you think that that may be why we see the relationship that him and and Randall have? Like, I I thought that that quote was a little telling to me, at least, especially when he went back to the accountability part, because I think he kind of tied those two things together.
1: Yeah. It's clear. These guys have a mutual respect for each other. And I think he alluded to probably the greatest strength uh, uh, that Tom Thibodeau brings to the table. When you hire him as your head coach of, an or, of your organization, you know, like yeah, not a terrific X's and O's guys gotten better as, as, as he's, you know, he's got a better, he's a better offensive coach than he was a few years mm-hmm. ago. And there's the other downside of playing guys too much and stubbornly, you know, rigid and how long um, can guys get berated before they kind of tune the coach out. All that other stuff um, is valid and we'll talk about it. And we've talked about, and we'll talk about in the future, but that kind of is the crux of, of the real value uh, of having Tom Thibodeau around your team and as the the, as the focal point, you know, as the, as, as the head coach uh, of your basketball club, because he's going to – He some guys talk about doing – you know, uh, committing and and you know showing up on days off and getting right. in extra hours and being the first one in and the last one to leave. Tibbs lives that life. Anybody that's played for him recognizes that. He doesn't ask you to put in more time than he does himself, et cetera. Um, so, I, I, again, I think there's a mutual connection there. But the Randall stuff and, and just kind of putting a bow on this conversation and, and the Randall picture. At large is and you mentioned the Players Tribune article that was in Mar. The towards the end of that first All NBA season, when yeah. you know Nick fans were in love with Julius Randle and yeah. raving about him as an MVP. You know MB- MVP chance every time he went the free throw line and took yep. the Knicks back to the playoffs. And again, he was prince of the city. Um But then we have the next year when he just the, the body language was terrible and the thumbs down and the you know. And then we uh, came and up with the play, and play was terrible. And play- I mean, he, he had a terrible season incredibly inefficient Um, and then he comes back the next year and plays real at a really high level but then towards the end of last season kind of went back that so I think there's a lot of stuff going on there and it's very easy to root for Randall when he's in that kind of positive space and that and that and then and everything's kind of going in the right direction, um, but then things kind of tend to tilt the other way, and when they start, you know, unraveling that direction, it gets difficult to kind of get everything back on track, and that's where folks would hope um, that the head coach would hold the, the player accountable. And right. again, and as you said, we just don't see it. He doesn't say it publicly. That does, that doesn't tell us what he does behind closed doors. But um, the fact that his minutes, you know, per game are never impacted. The yeah. fact that he's never, you know, taken out of a game and after after a lack of effort play. Um, you know, so those are the things that are frustrating because fans love to hear the stuff about Kobe, and they desperately want a Kobe type figure. Um right. Those same fans can't help but wonder what would Kobe, you know, and you talk about on the podcast, yelling soft the Charmin and, and Kobe cursing at his teammates. What on earth yeah. would Kobe say to somebody um, when the when the team's leading scorer sat at half court like this after a bad turnover in a playoff right. game? You know, like what would Kobe say? Um, those are the questions I wished that that that. um You know that he would kind of be asked on these type of salute, and I'd be fascinated to hear his answer. Um, You know, when you look at tape, do you see yourself and get mad at you, infuriated that you allowed yourself to let your emotions take over, where it looks like you don't care on the court because we know that you do. Because for you know, from from game one to game seventy-seven, out there every night, putting his heart and soul on. People think he's kind of a bad guy, and he's not a and a softy and a good dad because he's so mean and vicious and a brute force. But um, that's the type of effort and intensity plays with but then there's other times where you just don't see it so that's the dichotomy of of Julius randall and as we've discussed one of the more difficult to characterize like difficult to peg athletes uh, in new york in in modern sports history
0: and randall's relationship with the fans and he says you know it could be hard being at the garden when things are bad or uh, being outside of you know you know the real world i think he's referring to the internet maybe people tweeting at him or Instagramming him. He talks about his family, so maybe people talk about his family. And then, you know, in the real world, it's all love. I think that some of that is, I think people, when they see Julius, they do kind of have a better understanding because they're not watching him in that moment, turn him all over whatever. understand this is a guy who's averaging 25 and 10. He's led Knicks in the playoffs for the last three years. There is going to be a support. Like, if I saw Julius Randle on the street, I got him love. I'm not going to be out there saying, oh, that's that guy, like, get him out of my face. He's also 6'9", 250. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, some of these
1: people that are <laughs> Talking that's, crazy to him
0: on Twitter, they're not gonna be saying that.
1: To that's his face. that's a, And that's a that's a that's the kind of the most important point as far as that's concerned. There's a lot of Twitter tough guys, um, that you know see anybody, you know, just to to will tweet things to get a reaction, desperate for reaction, but then yeah, we'll give you a big hug and ask for a selfie if they see you, if they saw him in person. So,
0: yeah, but at the same time, it's like I think Nick fans also are just tired of like the roller coaster. Like you yes. mentioned, everything you talked about, like it's you no, know, oh, he's great, and in the playoffs, oh, he, he struggles. He comes back and he he has this weird season where he he's ineffective completely as a player on the court and he's just terrible teammate. Then he comes back. He's like, "I'm gonna smile more." And then a yep. regular season for like most of the season, he was great. And then at the end of the season, he started acting kind of crazy again. And then he got hurt. Then yep. he came back and had a great game one. He's like, "All right, maybe Julius Randall's overcome this." And then he gets hurt again. And then he can't buy a basket against the Heat when it mattered most. And then he's giving bad body language. And then he's not hustling. It's like it's just this roller coaster with him. Where I think if we talk about, he talks about New York being so crazy, and it is, and no one's going to deny that. But I think in some ways, like the Julius Randle experience not being so up and down would also make like his life a lot easier, make the Knicks fans life a lot easier. Everybody would be a lot more happy if we just get consistent effort from Julius Randle. But nonetheless, um, shout outs to Julius. Shout out to Paul George for doing this interview. He's actually become a pretty good podcaster. I enjoyed this conversation as he puts up his other shows, so. Wanna give him a shot as well. So a uh, very interesting comment from Mr. Julius Randle.